our previous segments we've done on Romans, we've talked about the centrality of worship, um, that sin is actually intimately connected with worship, uh, a refusal to worship, but with worship nonetheless. And a life of holiness is probably our good way of talking about that, very much connected with worship as well. I want to talk a bit more about how Paul actually describes the worship of which he speaks in Romans. Now, we can do this in a couple of ways. Uh, I talked about when we looked at chapter 1 in Romans that this, the, the having a knowledge of God, and really an allusion to Adam and Eve, they refused to give God thanks or to honor God as God. And I said at that time, um, this is not just something means they didn't go to church on Sunday or some sort of silly thing with Adam and Eve. But it's, it's, it's a reflection, that uh, a refusal to worship that's reflected in a way of life and in the conduct of life, um, both in terms of how it's conceived but also how it's carried out and so on. I want to look a bit more about Paul's prescription for what worship would look like when we get the other side of this coin in Romans chapter 12, and I think we can flesh this out a bit. Now, we've talked a good bit about Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Uh, which is, for those of you who are familiar in uh, Asbury fashion with inductive biblical studies, it's a general exhortation that Paul's going to flesh out in the rest of these chapters running into chapter 15, this body of exhortations in Romans. So the, the, the exhortation, the general exhortation of 12, 1 and 2. Uh, exhort you therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, uh, offer your bodies a living sacrifice, you know, and so on and so on. Do not be conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and so on. Those are words we're very familiar with. Now, if I could talk about what we're happening here, when Paul exhorts them to do this, to be transformed by the renewing of mind, and so on, it's almost as at the end of verse 2, he says, now, now let me explain what I mean. Let me give you some examples. I'm going to particularize this general exhortation. This is what it looks like to offer yourselves to God. This is what it looks like to have a renewed mind. And the rest of this body of exhortations that runs up to the end of the letter body in 1513, we've got to read in light of that general statement. These are particular examples of offering ourselves to God. These are particular examples of a renewed mind of not being conformed to the patterns of this present age. Now in a previous segment we looked at Paul doing that. By the grace given to me I say to you. It's an act of worship not to think of himself more highly than ought but to understand that his apostleship and his ability to speak comes from God. It's also an act of worship for Paul not to think too lowly of himself and to go ahead nevertheless in spite of his background and all the things he had done to still go ahead and speak because of God's call on his life. On down here in the verses that follow then in verse 4 and so on, he, he exhorts these people to, to, to live out their life, to exercise the gifts that God has given them and to do them as, as God would, would have those gifts exercised. Living those things out becomes, and the way in which those things are lived out, becomes an act of worship on down to chapter 12 verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Living that way is an act of worship. And on down we could go through the list here. Don't return evil for evil. Returning evil for evil is following the pattern of this present age. Not returning evil for evil 
takes place on the basis of a people who have offered themselves to God. Not returning evil for evil is people who worship in such a way that it comes with a renewed mind and so on. And we could trace our way all the way through these chapters point by point and read each of these exhortations as being about worship. This is what it looks like. Now, it's interesting. I, I would claim that these chapters actually continue to narrow. They get more specific and more specific and more specific till you really get at the point of the letter in chapter, verse, uh, chapter 15, verse 7. And I, I want to put this in the context of worship. These offering of themselves to God as a living sacrifice, which is what the Greek actually is in chapter 12, verse 1. But the point he writes to a, a church that I think is divided among followers of Jesus from Jewish backgrounds and followers of Jesus of Gentile backgrounds. At 1517, I think he gets to, or, or 15:7, he gets to the point he's been driving at all along. Therefore, a big word, receive one another, you divided people, just as Christ received you to the glory of God. Well, that's an interesting statement. If these people actually receive one another, God will be glorified. Well, that's true is because God's purposes involve bringing a people together from all nations to be, to be God's own people. And when God does that, when these people walk in line, when they worship and honor God by the way they live, God will be glorified. As one scholar has said, what Paul wants to happen here is for these people to be, become a local instance of the saving purposes of God. And when that happens, God's glorified. Now, the point here about worship I want to make from Romans chapter 12 to 15 is that when Paul talks about worship, he's not just talking about something that happens when we gather together in church or maybe in a Bible study in our home. He's not talking about just something that happens when we sing hymns. Now, that is worship, and that's a very important component of worship, and it's very critical in our lives to be involved with a body of people that do that, absolutely essential. But the worship Paul's talking about that is so critical is an all-of-life issue. In fact, I think you can go through these chapters and look at these exhortations and say, well, I think all of these things really come down to relationships. That worship takes place in the way we actually relate to one another as followers of Jesus Christ and how that shapes how we relate to others outside the body of Christ. My point here is that worship, as I've said, is an all-of-life issue. It's not something that's confined to what happens in church. It's something that takes place in every waking moment of our life. That's what Paul talks about with, with worship, the sort of worship that's connected here to sin, to a life uh, of holiness, and so on. But worship for Paul is an all-of-life issue.